How's it going? Good, actually, for real, in real life? Amazing. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Citizens Youth. If it's your first time here, first of all, welcome. If, it, if you're brand new or if it's like your second or third time and you don't want to tell anyone that you're new because you're super embarrassed, I would like to tell you from the bottom of my heart, thank you for coming. We're super thankful that you are here. We're about a few things here at Citizens. One, we are a community. We're a community of students, and we really value community. We want uh, you guys to know the truth of Jesus. We want you guys to know uh, the truth of what his word says. And we know it's super hard to do that alone, especially as a middle school and high schooler. Uh, but we want to rally a community together of people who are actually excited to watch you succeed and want to have you uh, succeed at being a Christian and knowing Christ. We're a community of students learning uh, to live for Jesus Christ. So we're all about learning. We constantly open up God's word for direction and guidance. We believe that his word brings us healing. We believe that his word brings us life. We believe that his word is able to correct us when we're wrong. And so that is why we're always committed to doing this every single week. And that's why it doesn't get older, doesn't get boring, or I try my best not to make it not seem like it gets older boring. But it's so incredibly amazing that God's word is always living and active and able to help us in our time of need. And we're also excited and pumped up about one thing, a community of students learning to live for Jesus. That ultimately is who we're trying to please. When we get here, and we're in this space, and we're listening with our ears, and we're singing with our voice. We're not trying to show off to anyone else. We're not trying to check the box of obligation. We are trying to make Jesus uh, happy. We're trying to make Jesus proud. We are trying to uh, lift up our voices together to live for Jesus and exalt him over all. And so if you're new tonight, welcome. That's what we're about. And if you've been in this room hundreds of times, that's what we're going after. And so I'm super pumped that you guys are here uh, tonight. We're continuing on in our series called With All Boldness. With All Boldness, the early church meets together. I was listening to this sermon about uh, the book of Acts the other day, and there was just this incredible image that came to uh, this pastor who I really respect when he was teaching this. Um, the idea of boldness and the idea of spirit, God's Holy Spirit and the boldness of the believers is all mixed together throughout the book of Acts. Every single one of us, if we know Jesus, have the power of the Holy Spirit. But the boldness that comes from knowing and learning and understanding Scripture more and more every single day. And Spirit plus boldness together equals power. When you have God's Spirit and when you're willing and bold enough to be able to spread that, to spread the good news of Jesus in Spirit, that is incredible power. Now, we don't necessarily just want to be bold without Spirit. Right? And we don't want to have spirit here where we engage with the Holy Spirit. We, we learn through his word, all that stuff, but then we don't go have boldness. God wants us to be going out into our schools, into our communities with spirit and truth and with boldness and spirit. And through that, we have incredible power. We have power and we see the power here in scripture that doesn't stop throughout the entire book of Acts. There's, there's problems, there's situations, there's things that pop up that are really difficult. We're going to read about one of those tonight. We learned last week that there's situations, there's times where there's out, uh, you know, there's forces outside of the church coming to attack. There's people plotting against the gospel of Jesus and the spread of Jesus. And the church is with able to withstand those things. But tonight, we're going to see what happens when those problems come from inside the church. There's a crazy story here tonight. And I want to encourage you from the beginning. It's pretty, it's pretty gnarly. And we're going to look at it together. We're going to dissect it. 
But this is answering the question, what does God do? How does God protect his church in the early days? There's a couple uh, really awesome things. So open up your Bible to Acts chapter 5 if you haven't uh, opened up there already. And um, in Acts chapter 5, we're going to see a story about people who try and hide something from God. We're going to see a story about some people who foolishly think that they can deceive God and the Holy Spirit, and it does not go super well for them. Is anyone in the room, like, really bad at keeping secrets? Like, yeah, okay, hands up, hands up. They're like, it's me. I can't even keep the secret that I'm bad at keeping secrets. I'm going to raise my hand, right? Uh, That's me as well. Like, so spoiler warnings, like, all those things, like, you saw, like, I saw Spider-Man, No Way Home, like, the night that it came out, and it was amazing. It was awesome, and it took everything within me. And I'm not going to spoil it now, even though you should have seen it already. It took everything within me not to, like, give away the major spoilers. Like, that next week, I just had, like, my, I'm just, like, can't say anything. I just, like, can't talk to people for a few days because I'm very bad at keeping secrets. Because when I'm excited about something, I just talk about it. Uh, a good example of this is uh, this happened a few months ago. Uh, some of our very dear friends, Jocelyn and I's dear friends, uh, they told us that they were pregnant with their first kid. And it's a really big deal. And they're awesome people. And they told us really early in the pregnancy. And so a lot of people keep it private for a few weeks. And they told us like week like three or four or something like that. And we were so excited for them. It was awesome. They told us in confidence. They're like, yeah, keep it a secret. And of course, absolutely. We totally will. And um, me, again, not awesome. Keep it secrets. But I was trying my best. Within the hour, all right, again, within the hour, I was just so, I was on cloud nine. They told us we were so excited. The, the, my buddy who is the father-to-be is like here with me and we're about to leave him and I'm about to go with my other friends. It was like we were visiting and so they were gonna, this other group was going to take us to the airport and so I was saying goodbye to my friend and this person who was taking me to the airport was right here. They don't know. This person knows because obviously dad or whatever. And I was just like, I was so emotional. I was so thankful. I gave him a hug. I'm like, congrats, dad. And I look over at the guy next to me, and he doesn't move. I said, congrats on being a dad. Was it that bad? I thought I just called him dad. Okay, I said, congrats on being a dad. So I guess it was worse. And I just kind of like look over, and the guy just kind of looks over at me. And then the guy, <laughs> the guy who is a dad just looks over and goes, great job, man, and just walks out. And I was like, yep, that's... I'll own that one. Not great. The other guy claimed he didn't know. I think he was being nice. He had to have heard me. But anyway, all this to say, there are some things that are really hard to keep secret, right? There are some things that you'd like are just like so excited to share. And then there's some things that we would like really like to keep secret. There's some things that we intentionally try to hide. There's some things we intentionally try our best to keep under wraps. There's some things that in our life, if it was on, a, if it was on the screen back here, some of our worst moments of this week, we would be really scared. If you had some of your worst moments of your life on display for everyone to see, it would be terrible. And so naturally, sometimes we try and hide these things. Sin, uh, problems with lust, problems with anger, problems with substances, alcohol, whatever it may be. If we were to have those sins on full display, it would be really terrifying. But we as Christians have access to something, the community of God, willing and ready to deal with those sins as they come up. But what we're going to see tonight is two people who decide to try to hide their sin. They intentionally deceive. They intentionally lie to God, specifically God's Holy Spirit, it says, and their consequences would be quite severe. severe. <clears throat> Ananias and Sapphira, chapter 5. If you under, ever wondered why you don't meet anyone named Ananias or Sapphira quite often, uh, this passage will say why. 
So last week we saw, so jumping back up one verse, um, we see Barnabas, um, who is uh, mentioned here, he is selling a, a part of, he's selling his land, he's giving all the proceeds to the apostles, and it says this, he was a Levite named Cyphus, he sold a field that belonged to him, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. And then the chapter starts off with this word, but a man, Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and bought only a part of it. So only a part of the proceeds and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back from yourself part of the proceeds of this land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain uh, your own? After it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias had heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After the interval about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me what, uh, what, whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came, they found her dead and they buried her out or they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Two people who intentionally tried to deceive uh, the Lord. It's a story about people trying to hide things from God, people who are willing to lie to God and to the church. In my human heart, I'd like to look at a passage like this and say, that's a pretty harsh punishment for a minor crime. I think about all the lies I've told in my life, and I've thought, man, I'm really glad this didn't happen to me. I like to think that in my human mind, but in God's holiness and his, in his sovereignty, God is weeding out and destroying deception that has seeped into the greatest force for good in history, and that is the church of Jesus Christ. God casts the light on an unrepentant and deceptive members of the church, and it is a reminder for you and me today as Christians and as believers to not hide from God, to not attempt to hide from God, to not deceive, to not lie to one another because... Not because God's great anger towards you, not because of his great judgment towards you, but because of his great love for you, he would like to see these things brought into the light. There's the main idea I'd like to give you first. Usually we go through it and we share what the main idea is first or at the end. But I'd like to share it with you tonight. The main idea is this. God invites us to live in truth. God invites you and me to live in truth. There is no need to hide. There is no need to fear. There is no need to deceive when we have Jesus Christ in our lives, in our hearts. God, be with us as we are looking at this word. Allow it to penetrate our hearts. Allow it to uh, convict us where we need to be convicted. Allow it to uh, encourage us where we need to be encouraged. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Three things. So that main idea. God invites us to live in the light. He invites us to live in truth. We're not trying to hide things. We're not trying to sweep things under the rug. God invites us into the open, sin and all, for us to deal with. And there's three other things I want us to know from this passage. First is this. We're going to do something a little bit different tonight. I read us the text, and then we're looking at three things we can learn from it. The first is this. God knows your heart. God knows your heart. God knows my heart. 
God knows the heart of the person sitting next to you. God knows the heart of your parents. God knows the heart of the person who's hurting you. God knows the heart of the person who has done wrong to you. God knows every single thing that you and I have ever done. Wow. He is so sovereign and so holy that he can see everything like he was right there in the room at that exact time in a way that we can't understand. And I have three conversations with people like in a day, in a row, and I forget who said what at what conversation. And we think about the holiness and sovereignty of God is that he knows our hearts. So in this time in the church, in a season of immense blessing and joy, a man and his wife decide that they're gonna try to deceive God and the church and keep some money for themselves. Now I want you to hear this. The sin here isn't the fact that he kept back money. That's not what happens here. There's an example of generous and overflowing joy from Barnabas saying he sold it and gave all the proceeds to the church. And the sin here isn't like, oh, you kept 70 or you kept, you know, 20% of it and you gave away 80. Mm, sin, dead. That's not the sin here. The sin here is that Ananias specifically set out to make it look like he had given everything. He had made it look like he was willing to give everything to God and to the church, but he kept some of it back in secret. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter knows this immediately. The way some, some, um, some translators and some scholars think um, when it talks about him uh, contrived this deed, some people think that there may have been a prearranged uh, you know, a conversation with the apostles and Ananias where there would have been a specifically understood exactly the amount that would have gone. And so there would have been an agreement. Some scholars think that. The Bible doesn't specifically say, but what the Bible does show us is that there is deception here, but it wouldn't be enough to fool God or stop God because God knows our hearts. And so the question is, well, why did they do this, right? There's a few different ways. There's a few different questions that we can ask. One, maybe it was pride. Why would you give part of it and not all of it? Maybe it was pride. Thinking, you know, you know they wanted to look the part but they didn't want to play the part. They wanted to say the right things, look like they were doing the right things, but they didn't exactly want to do all of them. So maybe it was pride and unwillingness to submit humbly to the apostles. Maybe it was power of habit. They just were used to lying. This may have been a habit that was formed in their lives for years, and they just had a habit. And at that point, they might not have even realized that what they were doing was sinfulness, or maybe it was fear. What, wait, what do people think of me if, if they hear that I didn't actually give everything? And so I have to really make it, tr- like, you know, I have to really try and make it seem like I gave everything, but I didn't, and so I'm living kind of this double life. Maybe it was, uh, you know, fear of what other uh, people thought. Maybe it was fear of their financial situation. I can't survive without all this money. I'm going to look like I'm giving everything, but I'm going to keep some of this right here. No one will find out. No one will know what's going on. But the reality is God knows our hearts. God knows our hearts. We don't know all these problems, but we we don't know why they went to this solution, but we know that all of these problems could have been solved if they would have just lived in the light. The reality is it wasn't the problem that they weren't giving all of their money. It was was fine for people to own things. We see it back a few weeks ago. It says, um, no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. It doesn't say they didn't have anything. It just says that they were willing to share it. And so the fact that they... Uh, were willing to keep some was fine, but they were trying to keep it for selfish gains. There's an interesting parallel here in this story and a story that happens in Joshua. Uh, In the book of Joshua, the people of God are 
um, advancing in their, uh, in their promises and the way God is directing them, that God is leading them. And there's some major victory in the book of Joshua called the Battle of Jericho. Many of you probably heard about it in like elementary school. And uh, they walk around the uh, Jericho, the walls fall, and the Lord uh, gives them victory over this city. This is thousands of years before this, uh, uh, this happens. And so we see, um, we see this interesting parallel where there's this guy named Achan. There's a guy named Achan who um, was um, in the Israelite army. He is there with the, the people of Israel. And God, once they take over the city, once they had the city, it was full of livestock, which was like, big deal money. There was full of gold, silver, armies, whatever they needed. It was full of this awesome stuff. It was like hitting the jackpot of Jericho. Like, yes, we have all this stuff. And God says, great, this city that you just conquered, all those things that you want to take, yeah, uh, you sacrifice those all to me. Burn them, destroy them. Those are all mine. And it's like, well, but God, like, we, we, we could have used this money to like help us in the arm. Nope, just you don't need money because it's not about finances with God. It never is. He's saying, give all these things to me. And this one guy, Aiken's like, yeah, absolutely. I'll do that, God. But like this like one thing like is really cool. So I'm going to just like keep that. But yeah, no, we're giving everything. But this other thing is like super cool. So I'm just going to keep this. I'm going to stuff it under my pillow. No one will know. And the same fate that Ananias and Sapphira have is the fate that Aiken would see. And the Lord strikes him down. And so there's this interesting parallel here. There's a scholar that says this. The story of Ananias in the book of Acts is the story of what Achan is in the book of Joshua. In both narratives, as an act of deceit interrupts the victorious progress of the people of God. See, oftentimes in life when there's major victories, when there's major awesome things happening in God's kingdom, there is always the temptation to try and take some things for yourself. There is always the temptation to have deceit rule in our lives. And the beginning of the church of God, God sets an example in this moment to show how he would deal with people being deceitful. This story should be a shocking, shocking and sobering reminder that to you and I that God knows our hearts. He knows exactly where we're at. He knows exactly what you're struggling with. He knows exactly what you did this morning. He knows what you're going to do later. He knows everything. He sees everything. He reigns above all those things. And depending on your view of God, you're going to react to that truth in different ways. Depending on your view of God, you're going to react to that truth in many different ways. If you hear that and you're just like, yeah, I don't care. I know God's, you know, I guess, I guess, you know, God sees it and you just don't care. In that way, you may view that God is not a holy God. He's not a just God. Or maybe you don't believe in him at all. If you're reacting to that truth, act pathetically. If you're fearful of that, if you hear that and there is fear at the core of yourself and you're wondering if God can even love you or care for you, I would say you know that God is holy and you know that he exists, but maybe you don't have a full grasp on his grace yet. And if you hear that truth and it just is, there's this overwhelming sense of peace, it means that you know God is holy. You know that God knows you, but you also know that he is gracious and kind. And that's where we should be as Christians. There are moments where we should be rattled and like, wait, God knows the thoughts I think. God knows things that literally no one else does, and he brings them to light. Yes, that is absolutely true. But when you understand God's graciousness for you and that his kindness leads you to repentance, that truth should give you peace. I want it to give you peace. I don't want this uh, to riddle you with unnecessary anxiety. I want you to know that God's graciousness as his love for you rules in your hearts.
Uh, God knows you, he loves you, but the enemy will often try to deceive you like he did Ananias and Sapphira. This passage speaks to one of the ways that the devil speaks to us, one of the ways that the devil tries to sow disunity and, and disruption in the face of the church. At the very beginning of scripture, the very beginning, we see the serpent in the garden. We believe there's a very real enemy named Satan. And the very first thing he says is a question. And he says, did God really say? The word Satan means the accuser, the one who lies, the one who like sits on a throne of lies, right? Like Buddy the Elf says to that fake Santa Claus. That, that's actually the devil, right? So a little intense for Buddy to call him that. But the devil, like is the one who lies. He's the one who sows this. And, P and Peter says this, why is it that Satan has sowed this in your heart? And the reality is that we hear lies all the time. He's been doing it from the beginning. Did God really say, you know, okay, is that really a big deal? Okay, I get it. Like, I can't get you to lose your salvation, but like, you know, I know you're not gonna be able to conquer this sin. And also everyone's doing it. So like, is it that big of a deal? Well, those people are doing it and like they're on stage sometimes doing stuff. So like I must be completely fine. Or, you know, I know that person does it and they just got this like promotion at work and like their parents love them. And so like, you know, like maybe you can just engage with this thing. The enemy still speaks lies to us, friends. But every single time that the enemy tries to speak lies over you, it must be met with biblical truth every time or you will not withstand. Every time the enemy tries to get in your head and share things about you that are not true, that would lead you to deceit, that would lead you into hiding, that would lead you into holding the small little thing, but I gave most of it, but I have the small thing, but like, you know, more than half, right? I think that's good. I think I could just hold, anytime the enemy tries to do that, it has to be met with biblical truth. The biggest lie that you will hear, and this is what you have to fight against, is the lie that the enemy would give you that says, you've gone too far this time, you can't do anything now. You have reached the point of no return in repentance. You have reached the spot where if you share now, it's going to ruin the last five years of your life. It's going to ruin your testimony. So you can't share any of those things now. And that is probably the biggest lie that I don't want you to believe. I need you to know that the kindness of God leads us to repentance. Whenever there's this, this, you know, this temptation to, to hear the lies of the enemy, you need to meet it with biblical truth. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God's kindness has led me to repentance. So one, from this message, we need to understand that God loves you and he knows you. He sees you. It's not any righteousness of your own that you got saved in the first place. And so that thing you're trying to hide that sin you're dealing with on the side secretly, don't try and hide it. Don't flee God's presence. He invites us to live in the light. It is this amazing thing that you don't have access to anywhere else because we have the actual solution to the problem, that is Jesus. While the world looks at you know, your social media, the Lord looks at your friends, the Lord looks at the cars that your parents drive, the Lord looks at where you're going to school, or the world would look at all those things, the Lord doesn't look at any of those things, doesn't care. He cuts through that and he looks at you. The heart, it means it's the epicenter of human emotions. It's where our motives exist and come from. It's this beautiful thing that we can't quite understand. Some might call it our conscious, whatever it is, God sees directly that. And so he knows you. Don't run, don't flee from that. We see another thing here. So the result of this, 
is pretty, I mean, imagine that in that moment. So they, they're caught in their lie, they're caught in their deceit, and they fall down and die. Imagine these guys, they go take out Ananias, they bury him, they put him in a tomb, more specifically, and they come back. Imagine those guys are pretty tired after that, and they're like, another one? Oh my gosh, we have to bury someone else again, right? And so what does it say about these guys? It says this, when Ananias heard these words, he fell down, breathed his last, and a great fear came upon all who heard it. And then it says this in verse 11, and a great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. So in this moment, in this time where two people are now dead, where the Lord allows them to die because of their deception, there are now people who saw that and are terrified and are fearful. And the reality is, there's this truth that I want you to understand that sounds countercultural, that sounds confusing, that's like, how does this even happen? But I promise you it's true. God wants you to fear him. God wants you to fear him. And you're like, no, God doesn't want me to fear anything. First of all, God requires all of us to be obedient. God requires all of us to be obedient, to follow him. And sometimes we lose track of that in kind of this like pep talk, get yourself out of this situation, like Christian culture we can fall into sometimes. And this story should remind us that God is holy and he requires obedience. He could have struck every single person in this room down. He should have, but he didn't. But he still requires us to be holy as he is holy. And so we pursue this and we understand that God requires us to be obedient. And fearing him is actually the most tangible way that we can begin to follow him more closely. Fearing him and understanding his holiness is one of the ways that we can begin to follow him more closely and specifically keep his instructions. It says the beginning of wisdom is fearing the Lord. When you fear the Lord, it's the beginning of wisdom. And you're like, no, dude, I just don't get it. I'm not, you know, I don't fear anything. I'm not supposed to fear God. God loves me. I know it's not, it's not for me. You're not supposed to do that. I don't fear anything. Have you ever once in your life, like, thought to yourself, you know, thinking about a group of people or surrounded by a group of people, have you ever wondered, like, man, hey, what are they gonna, what are they gonna say about, you know, I, I had this situation. I wonder, I wonder what they're gonna say about what I said to them. Uh, you know, I, does my hair look okay? Or like, did, did I have the right makeup on? Am I wearing the right clothes? Do you think that if I tell them I'm not going to do this thing, they're going to overreact? Or do you think if I say I am going to do this thing, they're going to react this way? And how am I going to react when they react like that? Is that going to look like I'm reacting poorly? If you've ever had this happen to you, then I have news for you. You fear people. You fear people. And you're like, no, I just want them to like, like me. No, you're terrified of the fact that they might not like you. That's fear. And if that fear rules your heart, you will be controlled by what people think of you. Every time. So you're not supposed to fear people. Maybe you've had thoughts in your head, well, like, what if I get into the school one day, but my, the parents don't have the money, but I don't know if I'll get the scholarship. Like, what happens if I, like, get into this school, then I have to move really far away? Or, like, what happens if my parents do get this divorce? Or what happens if this war continues to rage? Like, and, and you've had these questions. Rage in your mind. You fear the future. You fear your situations. And so the reality is that humans are very prone to fear. Humans are prone to be scared of things and to be terrified and to be controlled by them because what you fear will control you. 
It will. If you're terrified of what people think of you, you will be a slave to their opinion. You will be a slave to people. If you're terrified of your future, you will be so shell-shocked, you can't take a step forward any direction because you don't trust anything or anyone but yourself. The reality is we're prone to fear, but we're supposed to fear the Lord above all because when we fear the Lord above all these things, all these other things, people's opinions, your future, your situation will fall to the background every single time. We are required and called to fear the Lord instead of wondering what these questions are, like what do we do with my future? We have to ask ourselves, what does God think of me? What is God calling me to do? What sin is God telling me to leave behind? Where is he calling me and am I being obedient? That is the fear of God that strikes the early church and it should strike us every single day. Again, am I saying, if you sin, if you mess up, will you immediately be struck down? No, I don't believe that. Or it would have happened right now. <laughs> like, it just would have. Like, you know, I don't believe that that's what I'm saying. But I'm saying we have to wake up in the morning with a holy fear of God and his word, wanting to please him. Knowing that it's not possible, right? Even knowing and understanding that we won't be able to completely fulfill it in our own power, in our own understanding, we must be fearful and motivated and moved and captive by only one person. That's God. It's Jesus. It's what he's called you to do. It is a holy fear from God. So we see God knows your heart. And depending on what you feel about God, that's going to make you react in a few different ways. Hopefully it brings you peace. Number two, God wants you to fear him. It is something that he has allowed. It is something that he calls us to. Number three, we're going to see here in verse 12 through 16. Look at the passage with me. It says this, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people. This is after two people died. They've been threatened to, throw in jail, to be thrown in jail. They are uh, facing possible uh, persecution, being arrested, thrown in prison, whatever it may be. Many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, right? Okay, maybe they're doing this on the side of the town. Maybe they're doing it underground. Maybe they're doing uh, something like that. Uh, nope, but they were all together in Solomon's portico. Okay, so the very epicenter of where they're not supposed to be doing these miracles. Awesome. Very cool, guys. So they're doing it in the middle of Solomon's portico. Now, none of the rest dared to join them. <laughs> So this is talking about people who were not a part of the church who have seen these things happen and are terrified. None of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of men, of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats as Peter came by. And at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people who were gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, they were all healed. So we see a few things God does. God knows our hearts. God wants us to fear him. And three, God grows his church. Because of this, in the middle of this happening, God continues to grow his church. Signs and wonders are done in public. God grows his church through the ministry of his word and through the ministry of miracles. As the people have a holy fear of him, they continue to do the miracles and they continue to bring about the good news of what he has done. The reality is that the church is the greatest force for good in history and you and I get to be a part of it. 
You and I get to be examples of it, right? The church isn't this building. It's not this space. It's not like when you leave, you're not the church anymore. You get to bring the church into school every day. You get to bring your church into a small group of some of them who don't know Jesus. You get to bring the church into whatever grocery store, whatever you're at, whatever vacation on you're on. You get to bring the church with you because you are interwoven and connected to the church. Here in this space, in this time, they're continuing what to defy, what the authorities said, because the rule of God is far more important than anything anyone tells you. And so they're following God's law above everything and doing these wonders. Hey, don't do, don't do miracles. They're in the middle of Solomon's portico, which is in the middle of the temple, and they're doing it, and it's awesome. It's amazing. As God calls us into the light, right, of our own personal sin, of our own personal struggles. He also calls us into the light and into truth by the way we act, our consistency in front of everyone else. The consistency in front of your friends at school versus your friends in small group. The consistency with your family and your friends, like whatever it is, God is calling us to live in the light so we could represent his church, so we could represent and bring the good news of the gospel. So as we're closing here, you and I have the opportunity to be the most open and honest out of anyone in the entire world. Like if you're sharing your sin, your struggle with someone who's not a Christian, like if you sit down with your buddy at a coffee shop and you're like, yeah, I'm just really angry all the time and they're not a Christian, they can give you advice, they can give you good words, they can give you encouragement, but they can't give you the truth. They can't give you the solution. They'd be like, yeah, maybe I struggle with that too. If you, struggle, if, you, if you go to your friend and you're telling them about how you're struggling you know, with lust or whatever, so first of all, some of them may just say, oh, that's not a big deal. And even if they admit it's a big deal, it's like, okay, they can't give you the actual solution. But here as Christians, when we confess, when we share the things that we're struggling with, when we share the things that we try and hide, when we share the things that we would say, I've given most of it to God, but there's this little thing that like, ah, it's not that big of a deal. When we bring that into the light, God blesses us. Ask every single leader in this room, who has been following the Lord for a decade, 15 years, 20 years. Never once, I, I've yet to find it, where sin has been discovered in their life or they've brought it to the light that they have said, yeah, I wish that didn't happen. I wish I could keep that. Never has happened. Never seen it, ever. And every time since discovered, rather confessed, people wish they would have confessed. Every time. Man, I wish I would have just kept that private for longer. We have the actual solution, the blood of Jesus, the salvation of Jesus. We have a community that says, we're not perfect, you're not perfect, we want to live this life together. We wanna to have this community together. There's no reason to hide, there's no reason to fear. There's a few lies that we tell ourselves about the lives we tell ourselves. Follow along with me. We tell ourselves the lie, okay, so if I'm lying about this thing, uh, you, know, you know, this is just not a big deal. We tell ourselves a lie that God doesn't know or doesn't care about this deception. We tell ourselves that this lie won't hurt anyone. And so the question we have to ask ourselves, do I minimize my lies or my deceit? Do I feel like God doesn't see this? Or do I feel like my lies won't hurt other people? We have to ask ourselves these questions. But we have to live in the light. God wants us to draw these things into the light. And as a Christian community, we have a responsibility and the privilege to meet with those people who are struggling, us who are struggling, rally around one another and pray 
to confess and to live in the light. The challenge for you is if there's anything on your heart that's weighing you down, you know it's something that you need to give, you need to reveal, but you just are trying to hold on to it. I'm telling you, come talk to someone. If you don't want to tell your whole group, just tell your small group leader, tell me, whatever it may be. Because God won't strike you down, right? We're telling you that. Don't read this and be terrified of that. But when you hold on to a sin, deceit, lust, you know, substance abuse, whatever it is, when you hold on to that for years, you may not get struck down. But will you miss out on the blessings that God has for you? Will you slow down in your sanctification? Will you... Uh, unnecessarily wrestle with anger, fear, any of the results of sin that we hide? Yes, you will. And I don't want that for you. And neither does God. Because he loves you and cares for you. And he's bringing all things into the light in his time. There's power in our confession. Where can I flee from your presence, O God? If I go to the hills, you're there. If I go down to the valley, you're there. There's nowhere you can run. There's nowhere you can hide. Sounds like a threat, but it's an invitation. God loves you. God, thank you for this night. Thank you for the opportunity uh, to preach this word, God. Thank you that it has power. Thank you that it has uh, conviction. Thank you that it has joy. Thank you, God. Help us to live in light as we, uh, we go out into our schools, as we go out into our friend groups, God. I pray that for these sins that you are bringing to mind to students right now, I pray that you would uh, graciously draw near to them that they would remember that your kindness is the one that's bringing them to repentance, not your anger or shame or, uh, you know, great, uh, you know, desire for them to be um, worse off because of their sin. God, no, it's your kindness, Lord. And so I pray that for the student right now in this space, that they would confess it, that they would speak to it, and that we would always constantly seek to live in the light. Thank you that you've purified your church for 2,000 years, and you're going to continue to do it to this day, Lord. Thank you for being holy. Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna sing here in a second. I wanna encourage you, take some space and some time. Don't distract, don't look around, don't mess with someone. Take this space, allow yourself to, while you sing, pray to the Lord. He is here, he is there, he's ready to listen. So again, I encourage you not to distract one another in this space. Let's sing together. <laughs>